Good morning. This morning's scripture reading is from Acts 16, verses 16 through 34. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Cyrus and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Please join me as we pray God's blessing over the teaching of his word. Most Holy Father, we praise you, the God of all creation. We thank you for this church and for your written word. We humbly ask that you would soften our hearts and bless this teaching your humble servant, Pastor Tommy, has prepared for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the Empress wishes to banish me, let her do so. The earth is the Lord's. If she wants me to, to have me sawn asunder, I will have Isaiah for an example. If she wants me to be drowned in the ocean, I think of Jonah. If I am to be thrown in the fire, the three men in the furnace suffered the same. 
If cast before wild beasts, I remember Daniel in the lion's den. If she wants me to be stoned, I have before me Stephen, the first martyr. If she demands my head, let her do so. John the Baptist shines before me. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall leave this world. Paul reminds me, if I, if I still pleased men, I would not be the servant of Christ. These are the words of the early church father, uh, John Chrysostom, uh, upon facing the death of, or the facing the fate of um, banishment for his stance for truth in Christ. And it really reflects uh, the indomitable spirit the Christian can discover. And the indomitable spirit that is demonstrated in this morning's text by Paul and Silas um, in the midst of, of some excruciating suffering. They were suffering for their faith, and yet they were, they were buoyant in their spirit. And, and I want you guys to understand, we, we don't quite grasp the level of suffering that was going on for Paul and Silas as it's recorded in this morning's text. I, a lot of us, you know, we, we go back to um, the story of Paul and Silas singing and uh, singing and, and praying in the midst of prison. And, and we see like our children's Bible, like our children's picture Bible, you know, and there's this picture of them. And they got these little things on their legs and they're kind of standing there and they're singing. And then the earth shakes and right. The, 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 the real picture is far more gruesome than that. Um. They were beaten, it says, with rods. And in this situation, they were beaten uh, by the Romans. The Jews had, the Jews had a, had a um, rule as it related to, to beatings in which it was 40 minus 1. So you could only be hit 39 times for your punishment. Um, the Romans had no such, had no such law. The, the, Romans, the Romans' goal was to inflict as much pain and as much punishment as they possibly could. And so they would take rods and they would strip them bare. And so they would have stripped Paul and Silas bare and they would have taken these rods and they would have just begun to lash them until their backs were opened up, until they, until they, until they had marks across their backs that were bloody. And, and then it says here um, that they were put in stocks. Now, for a lot of us, we have that picture of maybe they just had some things around their legs or maybe we have that, that, that picture of, you know, going back in the history of America where, you know, you, you put, they put their heads through the thing and they put their arms through the thing. This isn't what was going on here. The, the, Romans, the Romans would go to great lengths to create excruciating pain. This was, this was a means of torture. And so the way in which the, the holes were cut was so that your, your body would be contorted in such a way that it would inflict pain on you. That it would get to the point where... No, no matter what you did, you could not find a place of comfort. They were, they were put in, a, in, in, in positions where for the entire time they were there, they were in pain. And it's interesting because it says that all of this took place in the inner prison. Now, we read over that, and we might not really get, 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 the, get the true idea behind this. The inner prison... Was, was literally that. It was inner, inside the prison. There would be prison around it. The, the primary reason for this was so that, so that it was hopeless. Like, you couldn't escape this. You were put inside. But what was inside the inner prison was, was nothingness. There was no light there. There was no window. There was, there was nothing. 
And the, the only fresh air that would come into that place, or the only air that would, would make it into that place, was at the times in which the doors of the inner prison were opened. This is where Paul and Silas was. This, this, is, this was their circumstances. Beaten repeatedly with rods, uh, positioned in a way in which they were in excruciating pain, put in this, this hopeless inner prison where there was no light and there was no air and there was no hope. There was, there was literally no natural expectation of relief in the inner prison. And yet Paul and Silas were still buoyant in spirit. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I want you to stop for a minute and think about the testimony that was taking place before the prisoners. In the aftermath of beatings, in the pain of the stocks, in the circumstances of hopelessness of the inner prison, they were praying and singing to God for everyone to hear. How many of you guys think there might be a lesson here for us to learn? We're continuing our series, Unstoppable, which is a study in the book of Acts. And ultimately, what we're discovering is that it is a study in the attitudes and the actions of the first century church that shows us what it means to be an unstoppable church. Uh, The first century church changed the face of the world forever. It started with a handful of people in the upper room, and when the Spirit of God came upon them, there was something about that church, there was something taking place in that church that changed the world forever to the point where there are now billions who have served Christ, billions upon billions upon billions upon billions from that 120. And so as we've been going through this series, as we've been going through this, this, uh, this study, what we've been looking at is what is the characteristics of, of that church what were the what were the attitudes and the actions and the characteristics that created that unstoppable church that we as believers and we as a church can embrace in our faith we've seen so many different examples to this point from the very beginning their their deep commitment to prayer their, their, the, the, the word of god says that they were they were obstinately continually in prayer corporately seeking the face of God, desiring that the Lord would speak to them. And as a result of that, they saw the power of the Holy Spirit move. The the characteristics of that unstoppable church was a group of people who were being led and empowered by the Spirit to go into the world and stand against whatever it was they need to stand against, to stand for truth and stand for right and preach the word of God in spite of what others thought. It strengthened them. They were a people who had such love for one another. They, they cared for one another. They, they gave of what they had so that those who had need would be, that their needs would be met. We saw see example after example after example of what it was to be that unstoppable church. And I really believe that this morning's text is no different. As we look at this, as we're examining the first century church, and we're trying to discover what was, what was, their, what was their desires, what were, were their actions, what were their attitudes, what was their mindset. We see in the story of, of Paul and Silas a mindset, and more than that, a spirit set, a spiritual posture that, that can't be looked past. 
if we really desire to be true followers of Christ, if we really desire to be that, that, that church that, that moves forward in the power of Christ. Silas and Paul had a spirit set that we should seek to follow after. I love the way Matt Chandler expresses the spirit set that Paul demonstrates here. He says, if you hated the gospel, wouldn't the Apostle Paul be the most frustrating human being alive? It did not matter what anyone did to this man. He loved God and continued to show it in every possible way. We, we see Paul's gospel fixation echoed throughout his letter to the, to the Philippians. He is the man who, when threatened, says, well, to die is gain. In response, his captors will say, we'll torture you then. He says, I don't count the present suffering as worthy to even compare to the future glory. You can't win with a guy like this. If you want to kill him, he's cool with that because it means he gets to be with Jesus. If you want to make him suffer, he's cool with that so long as it makes him more like Jesus. If you want to let him live, he's fine with that. Because to him, to live is Christ. Paul is, as Richard Sibb says, of everyone united with Christ, a man who can never be conquered. How do we get to the point as believers where we can be like Paul? Men and women who can never be conquered, even in the hopelessness of the inner prison. How do we find inner joy in our own inner prison? When you read this passage, then reflect on Paul, you really do get the key to this life. And when they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened his feet in the stocks. After midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now you have to stop there. If you want to get that lesson out of this text, you have to stop there and take note of the key that is crucial to finding inner joy in the inner prison. Inner joy is not dependent on outer circumstances. Everything here, everything we just read, expresses the dire, painful, unfair outer circumstances. Many blows in prison, the inner prison, and in stocks. Everything outer was devastating. But everything inner was unbroken. Praying and singing hymns for all to hear. Their inner joy was not dependent on outer circumstances. I want you to hear this because I genuinely believe that we are currently living in a culture and a society that is desperately seeking inner peace aside from Christ. And as a result, are left, left to strive to control to the best of their ability their outer circumstances. 
See, the truth is, the truth is, absent this, this deep change inside of us, you don't find joy unless you can find the outer circumstances that produce that happiness, that produce that peace. We live in a culture and society that is trying to make sure that their outer circumstances are good and right and okay. Because they believe that is the path to inner peace and inner joy. And here's the truth. They're failing miserably. I heard a psychologist say just the other day that we are now a generation that is more anxious, more depressed, and more suicidal than in any time in recorded history. And and what makes that, that, that even more notable is that we are a generation where the exterior circumstances of our lives are inarguably better than in any other time in recorded history. There is, there is less crime. There is less violence. There is less poverty, less oppression. There are more comforts. There, there is more access to the things that we need, more, more education than ever before. And people are more depressed and more anxious and more suicidal than at any time in recorded history. I don't think we quite grasp how blessed we are when it comes to the external in the country in which we now live. It is is beyond, um, I think, comprehension. When you look at the history of the world, when when you look at the history of humanity, we have so little in this world, in this life, in this place to complain about. And how many people see people around you complaining all the time? The, 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 the greatest driver of news stories is people's discontentment, isn't it? We, we've got to realize the more we move away from the inner peace and joy that comes from relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father, through the work of Christ, the more we will seek to control the outer circumstances in a vain attempt to manufacture peace. And the truth is, it will never happen. It's really funny. I was struck before I left for for Rwanda. I I ran to CVS to get, um, you know, all your travel stuff. And I was going through, and I was I was buying stuff, and I and I happened to to for some reason I keyed in on what was going on in the in, with the loudspeaker. How many of you guys just ignore that usually? Usually I do. And and all of a sudden the, 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 they came on with this with this odd ad, and it was this it was a it was from a um, beauty um, manufacturer. And so the person came on, and they said they said they they, they, they said who they represented as this beauty manufacturer, and they said. Surveys show that 60% of women, after seeing um, beauty ads, find, them, find, find themselves feeling inadequate. And so what we've done is we've chosen in which we are now going to have truth in our advertising by not having things airbrushed. Um, and what we want you to do is encourage our, our beauty partners to do the same in all of their advertising. 
Now, now I heard that and I thought, now there's a bunch of folly. If, if you feel inadequate because you see beauty advertising. Now, if there's anything that we all know is a lie, right? If there's anything we all know isn't true, that has been staged, it's beauty ads, right? And if you see a beauty ad and in yourself it makes you feel inadequate, that is not going to change because they've decided to not airbrush uh, airbrush the models. Are you following what I'm saying? Uh, they've gone so far now in, in Europe that that was something that was like about three years ago. Well, now what they've done is they're starting to come down on. They've made that. They've made. They've outlawed that. They've made it. They've made it illegal to do. And now what they've done is they're going after companies that use models who are too pretty because it makes people feel inadequate. The truth is the circumstances around us are not what's going to solve what's inside of us. And we live in a culture and a society that keeps thinking that that's what's going to do it. That's what's going to make us feel better about ourselves. Everything in a humanistic mindset becomes about external circumstances dictating internal peace and joy. It's not about who likes you enough. It's not about how many things are okay with you. It, you can make everything good around you. And you still won't feel adequate inside. Everything in a humanistic mindset becomes about external circumstances dictating internal peace. But joy, but Paul sets forth, not just in this story, but in his theology, the pathway to an unstoppable church populated by indomitable believers. This is one of, one of the beautiful gifts of reading the narrative of Paul's life recorded in the book, in the book of Acts. And, and laying it alongside the letters he sent to the churches of the first century church that we're trying to emulate. In other words, what's beautiful about this is Acts tells us what happened to Paul, and then Paul tells us why he was able to do what he did in that story. Here we see the story of his dire circumstances met with an inner joy. And when we go to his letters, he gives us insight into how that happened. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 makes reference to this experience uh, that we just read out of Acts and, and others very similar to it. He writes and says, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in cities, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So he's going through and he's talking about, Guys, this is what my outer circumstances have been. You notice in there he talked about the fact that, that he had beaten by, by the 40 lashes minus one by the Jews, and then he was beaten by rods. That's the story we just read. These are the outer circumstances that Paul has been dealing with. 
This is the light, his life in Christ. Not just in the experience we read in Acts 16, but over and over and over again. Yet we hear him say, we hear him say in Philippians chapter 4, and I, and I think this is interesting because I want to remind you that the story we just read took place in the city of Philippi. So they were well aware of the life he was living. They were well aware of the, the, the pain he went through. And he says this, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what we see here is, is, is in his writings, the recordings of his outward perils and the recording of his inward strength. But how do we emulate that? How do we live in that same place? Does Paul give us a key? Does Paul give us a pathway to living in a place in which I can find contentment, I can find peace, I can find joy in spite of my outward circumstances? Well, I think Paul thinks so. In fact, he says here in Philippians 4, just before the passage we read, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So this is where we're at so far. What we've done is we've realized that Paul has suffered a lot. That the circumstances of his life are the types of things that can lead you to depression. That can lead you to, to being anxious. That could lead you to saying, my life's not worth living. But in spite of all those circumstances, we see that he has shown peace. He has shown joy. He has shown contentment. And then he says to the to, to, to the, the those in Philippi, and he says to us, guys, I want you to look at the life I've lived. I want you to look at the things I've taught. I want you to look at the things at the things I've given you, and I want you to learn how to have that same life. Paul tells us that his teachings and his life can be an example to us to find the peace and joy of God. In tough circumstances. And what's awesome is that in both Philippians and in 2 Corinthians, he answers his sufferings with the path to his joy in Christ. Let's start with the path that we find in Philippians chapter 4. Just prior to the passage we read, where we talked about all finding being able to find joy in all of these terrible circumstances. Paul writes and says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So look at that, right? So the question we have is, how do you get to the inner prison and have peace in spite of circumstances. He says here, in all circumstances, don't be anxious, but instead turn to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will renew your hearts and minds. What's he say? He's saying, when I'm in the inner prison, after I've been beaten, while I'm in the stocks, if I turn to God, 
If I trust in God, if I spend my time praying, believing in God, I know that in that I will find a peace that passes all understanding that renews my heart and mind. So the first step is you trust in the grace of God. The first step is you find yourself in these circumstances and you say, I believe I can go to God and receive grace in my circumstances. It starts with with acknowledging his power. It starts with acknowledging his working. It starts with acknowledging his supremacy. And then in that, you find a peace that passes all understanding. Paul in that pre- in that prison was exhibiting uncommon peace, right? In fact, I think you could say he had a peace that passes all understanding. What was he doing? He has just been beaten. He is now in the inner prison. He is now in stocks and he's singing praises. How many of you guys think that the prisoners and the prison guards around him were going, man, that guy seems to have a peace that passes all my understanding. Everybody's looking at him going, if I looked at the circumstances, I don't understand why you have peace. And we went from where that, where that, where that flowed from was what he tells us here in, in, in Philippians. It flowed from his place of going, what did he do? They were what? Praying. He says, listen, the passage we just read is the Lord's at hand. If there's anything taking place, no God is there with you, even in the inner prison, and bring it to him in prayer. Bring it to him because you trust him. Bring it to you because you believe he can do whatever it is that needs to be done. Paul in that prison was exhibiting uncommon peace. Because as he was there, they were praying and giving thanksgiving. The only reason they were able to do that is because they trusted in the grace of God working out of his love and by his sovereignty towards them. They believe they have a heavenly father who loves them and reigns over all things. And so even in the midst of their difficult circumstances, they came to him and said, take my life. I trust you with it. I believe in you. He knew that they could turn to him and trust him with their lives and their souls, whatever the outcome. You will not find internal peace in the midst of external chaos if you don't believe in a heavenly father that transcends it all. My circumstances are nothing before the power of God. We need to learn to pray as an act of faith. We need to learn to pray as a means of relationship. We need, we, we need to learn to pray fully believing in the God of grace who is our loving Father and is sovereign over circumstances and situations. It's not always easy. I, I understand this in the midst of turmoil. But the Spirit of God at work in you can and will empower you as you're obedient and laying your life before Him. 
as I read this, as I read this, there is this this clue, this this hint as to how I'm able to do that, how I'm able to truly trust in him, how I'm able to truly believe in him, how I'm able to, to, in the midst of the hard times, actually go and say, I have faith that you can do something here. Because he couples this, he couples the prayer, that prayer that is making the declaration, I believe in the grace of God, I trust in the grace of God, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. With the identification of what he's already done for you. And that, and that, that helps lead us to the second key that Paul reveals to us. We need to set our minds on the grace that's already been extended to us. Trust in the God of grace and set your mind on his grace extended to you. Paul follows up the, follows up the key of prayer in trusting in God in, in Philippians with this statement. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen with me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What does he say the focus of the mind is? He says the focus of the mind is is where we're going to find inner peace in spite of our outer circumstances is it's being focused on the truth of what is good. And, it, and it's, he's not talking about here of, of, of sunsets and puppies. So often we get to this idea and it's like, well, just think about good things. Just think positive thoughts. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about specifically what flows from the grace of God, what is worthy of praise. He's saying, you look at all of the good that God has done. You look at all the grace God has given. You look at everything he's done. And the only one worthy of praise is God because of what he's done. And so the idea here is we come to this place in which our mind is set. When we talk about the idea of how do I, how do I um, have faith in a sovereign God to do good for me in the midst of my terrible circumstances? Well, one of the keys is this. Put your mind on the grace of God that's already been extended to you. Set your mind on what he's done for you. Understand the gift that he's given to you. Be in a place in which you're rejoicing and praising. Because regardless of what happens from here on out, I know what he's done for me to this point. It is the hymns that they were singing in the midst of their inner prison. It was the it was it was it was singing praises to him. It was thanksgiving to him in the midst of their inner prison, saying, "You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of glory. You're worthy of my song, because I know who you are and I know what you've done." I received. We just got back from Rwanda, and I'm telling you, I received just this last week a vivid illustration of this. In our time in Rwanda, this is a this is a this is a, a place. This is a people who have suffered the genocide. 
And so we had this opportunity to step into to Mugina and spend some time with some people there. And and this is what we see. People who have who have had family members killed, people who have suffered rape. And this is them. This is this this is in the village of Mugina, a rural impoverished community that Solace Ministries, the ministry we work with, works with. Their monthly household income on average is maybe $200 a month. They have little electricity. They have little running water. They have no health insurance. They have limited schooling. They have no iPhones. They have no cable TV. No vanilla cappuccinos with extra foam. And do you see the joy? Do you see them dancing before the Lord? Do you see how they were deeply gripped with what God is and who God is? And and the truth of their source of their joy became evident evident to me about 15 minutes after that video was shot. There's a 49-year-old woman who leads this community for Solace that, that ministers to the people from Solace. And she got up. She began to give us her testimony. And she shared about how she was 24 years of age in the genocide with a one-year-old boy and a new husband. And as the genocide came, she was separated from her husband. She later learned that her husband, that, that those who came to kill them, had shot him in his legs and left him laying there, unable to, unable to move, unable to get away. And so what they did is, over seven days, they would come back and they would torment him. And over seven days, they would begin to cut off parts of his body. As she ran... She ran with her child. She found a place of refuge that she thought she where she thought she would be safe. But while she stayed there for three days, on three separate occasions, the man who owned that home raped her. After that, she ran. And as she was she ran, she was captured by a group of men. In her own words, she said, She was raped so many times by so many men she couldn't count the number. This was her testimony. This is her story. She lived for several days, several weeks, hungry, unable to be fed, doing everything she could to get food to her children. And as she finished up her her testimony, what she said was this. As I look back on my life, I know God was always there with me. See, at the end of, after the genocide, she talked about how bitter and angry she was. Then she met Jesus. She discovered his love for her. And she said, she said, I realized that my father loves me, that he chose me, that he drew me near to him. And I have salvation because of him. And I rejoice because he kept me. And he protected me. And he brought me to this point. You see, the joy that was on display there was in the understanding of the provision for God. From God. The grace of God for salvation. That the circumstances of life were nothing in comparison to the love of God that brought her to salvation. Brought her to purpose and meaning 
and true love. Her focus was on the grace of God extended to her. Not on the external circumstances, not not on the things that she didn't have or the things that she had lost. But the grace of God extended to her. He chose you. He saved you. He loves you. He is at work in you in all circumstances. Because he's your loving father. What in this world can compare to that? We we don't lay everything else alongside that, and we should. Is there anything worthy of praise? Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Your salvation is so much greater than whatever negative circumstances you find yourself in. His love for you is so much greater than whatever circumstances you find yourself in. We we move on so easily and so quickly from the magnitude of God's love for us and God's grace to us. And as a result, we lose the joy of the Lord that can be our strength. I can't help but think that it might be valuable for us to revisit the little chorus I used to sing in church when I was when I was a boy. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. And when I say that, I don't want us to focus in on the fact that we have a nice house or we've got good cars or we've got a job where money is coming in. I want you to understand and I want you to focus in on the fact that God, not because you were worthy, not because you were so great, not because you were good, but he chose you and poured out his grace to you and has shown you love and he has given you salvation. And it's so beyond anything that could possibly happen in this world that if we set our minds on that, we can go, Whatever. It just doesn't matter. Because my God loves me. My Heavenly Father cares for me. My Savior has died for me. And I have everything I need in spite of my circumstances. We lose our joy because we focus our eyes on the things of this world. But whatever is good, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of praise, set your mind on these things. I believe the final key is found in Paul's follow-up to what we read in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the important phrase to take from this passage is this. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You have to trust in the God of grace. You have to set your mind on his grace extended to you. And you have to give yourself over to the purposes of his grace. His phrase there is this. I will be content in all that because through it, through it, God's strength can be revealed in my life for his purposes. He says, I'll be content in it because it is for him. I'll be content in it because in my weakness, his strength can be shown in my, in, in my pain, in my hurt, in my struggle. When I find joy, when I find peace, his strength is revealed to the world around us. Because his life is about him. His life is about Jesus. His life is about God. His life and circumstances are about bringing glory to him. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content in all of my struggles. Because in it, he can be shown. In it, his strength can be revealed. Paul's posture always was, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives through me. It was to live is Christ. It was, it was, I will endure all that I need to so that people may see in me the grace of God and his work in me so that through that God might use me for his glory. This is so clearly illustrated in the story we read. Do you see what happens? He goes through all this pain. He goes through all this suffering. He's locked in the inner prison. He goes into a he goes into a time of prayer, a time of praise, sending his mind on, on, on what is worthy of praise, and God answers. Right? God shakes the foundations of the prison. The doors the doors are are swung open. He's got his freedom. You know what he does? He stays there. He doesn't go anywhere. What what he did in this moment is he submitted his own freedom for the purposes of God so that someone might come to Christ. Do you see how deeply this is embedded in his being? I don't live for my own freedom. I don't live for my own rights. I don't live so that so that I might be comfortable. Listen, even if God gives me the freedom, gives me the comfort, if it means laying it down so that someone can know Jesus Christ, I'll do it. He deeply believed that his joy and peace was found in the midst of pain and suffering when he believed that that pain and suffering was for the glory of God. If your life is for your comfort, if your life is for your rights, if your life is for your popularity, if your life is for your wealth, then your inner joy will be dependent upon your external circumstances and your inner prison will only bring inner despair. But if your life is for God's glory to be revealed, God's strength to be shown in your weaknesses, then circumstances will never ever, ever, ever affect your joy or your peace. This to me, in our broken culture, is so important. 
And maybe it's important for your broken life. This is the only path. This is the only path for the indomitable spirit for the members of an unstoppable church. We will, we will, we will have heartache and pain and suffering in this life. We will. And you either find the inner joy and the inner peace in your inner prison through your dependence on Jesus Christ, your hope in Jesus Christ, your desire to be instruments of grace at Jesus Christ, or you allow all the things around you to dictate who you are and what you'll feel. This is the pathway. This is what it means to find a peace that passes all understanding that will renew your heart and mind.